Um, let me get centered in front of the camera where. Mom, if you're watching online, good morning. <laughs> They're on their way uh, from Kansas City from visiting my sister. Um, so they were going to try to look it up. i got to let my eyes adjust too. It's bright up here. Yeah. <laughs> Surprised you don't wear uh, sunglasses. <laughs> A little bit about me. Um, as far as the chair goes, so you're kind of aware. Tashiana, would you bring up the water bottle? I already forgot that. My, uh, I was injured in 2015, so I am a quadriplegic now. Uh, two of the things that go along with my disability that make it a little challenging for me are, one is my blood pressure, and actually the two are related. Um, my blood pressure runs as low as about 70 over 40 which if you're familiar with blood pressures, uh, that's pretty low. So I adjust myself in my chair quite a bit. So you might see me going back and forth, and you'll probably notice that a lot of the times I'm reclined in my chair, and sometimes I recline more, and that's why it's so I don't pass out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I haven't passed out in a few years now, but it does require some awareness. Uh, and then I also, probably because my blood pressure is so low, I get cold pretty easy. My blood's not flowing real fast. So the hat and the hood um, that I wear aren't a fashion statement. Uh, it's not a desire to scare people off. Um, I let my face do that. It's not what the hood is for. I just go around glaring and trust that to communicate. Um, so those are a couple things about me. My mouth also gets dry, so I take lots and lots of water breaks. Uh, but we'll enjoy that. This morning, I'm going to connect Jesus to Pokemon. That's my, that's my little intro. I'm going to say that if Jesus were here with us this morning, he would be really interested in Pokemon cards. Not because uh, Pokemon themselves are especially interesting, but because to a lot of kids here, and one kid in particular I'm thinking of, Pokemon cards really matter. And kids really matter to Jesus. So if there's something that really matters to kids, then I think it would really matter to Jesus too. Yeah. So that's the little connection we're going to make. We'll take a little while to get there. Uh, <laughs> but that's where we're going. Looking at Mark, let me open with prayer and then I'll, I'll get back to Mark. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather this morning. We thank you for your word. We pray that you'll lead us and guide us. I pray that uh, you would be with my body and my mind, that I would be able to speak clearly, uh, that I would not become uh, distracted as I deal with some of those things. And I pray that you would help us to open up our minds to laugh together, to listen together, and hopefully to hear your spirit say something. Amen. So we've been working through Mark, and 
my favorite verses in Mark because they really set the table are verses 1, 14 to 15. And they read, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So toward the beginning, Jesus starts his ministry by announcing, pay attention, something new is happening. It's something you've been waiting for for a long time, but it's also different from how you'd imagined it. You're going to have to pay really close attention to notice what it is and figure out the priorities that it has because it's different from anything you've understood before. Now, last week, uh, Pastor Greg walked us through how Jesus had now been identified as Messiah in chapter 8, halfway through. So we don't have a lot of time left in Mark. And chapters 14, 15, and 16 are mostly made up by the betrayal, the crucifixion, the resurrection, those things. So we have a precious few chapters in there from when Jesus first predicts his crucifixion in chapter 8 through to the end of Mark. In chapter 9, he predicts his crucifixion again. He's only going to do it three times. So the pressure is mounting and mounting. What's going to happen next? What's going to be accomplished in this ministry? Now, one thing that the disciples are concerned about is they're advancing toward Jerusalem. This new kingdom is coming. The Messiah uh, has been identified is this. Who is going to be the most important among them? Who's going to be the leader? Because Jesus is not going to have 12 equal advisors in his kingdom as they probably would have thought. He'll probably have one or two main advisors, main people that he appoints for his kingdom. And so we find that they're having this conversation um, in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. It says they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet. Because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So when is it an example of the kingdom, of how the hierarchy of the disciples is going to work? He didn't start to identify who was first and who was last, but he brought a child in the middle and said, here's our example. Here's how the kingdom is going to work. And so the disciples and probably the readers of Mark, probably us today, are going to be surprised to hear that as Jesus lays out his kingdom, 
children become a focus. A little bit later on, we find in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, that people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. Remember, the time is short. They're on the way to Jerusalem. The Messiah is going to be betrayed, and then he's going to come into his kingdom. Everything's about to change. Jesus does not have time to be blessing children individually. He has work to do. He has to have important people to meet with. He's doing his teaching for the disciples the last time for teaching that he has. So the disciples, working to prioritize, to advise Jesus' time the best they could, started sending people away for bringing the children to Jesus. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. In both of those passages that I read, one thing that I really enjoy is that it says, and he took the children in his arms. It shows an intimacy and a beauty there that's special. Blessing them, you could imagine blessing them with oil on their foreheads, or having a child come and stand in the middle, and the teacher discussing them. That may have been more dignified. It might be something we're more used to thinking of when it came to Jesus. But it says that he took them in his arms as he blessed each child. When he called the child into the middle of the disciples to give them an example, he took the child in his arms. It's beautiful. But the disciples were still trying to make sense of this. They struggled to understand the place of children in the kingdom why they were the example being used. I want to take a moment now to shift this morning to think about kids today. What keeps them from being honored in the kingdom? What can keep them in our culture from being recognized in their rightful place as honored, as folks that are special to Jesus, even in the midst of their imperfections? Those of us who know kids well, which I think we've all had encounters with children, know that kids can lie, kids can cheat, kids can steal. So I don't mean to idealize them in such a way that they're always little cherubs and that we're always to treat them that way. But despite knowing their weaknesses and their flaws, Jesus still gave them this esteemed status. Now, today, and especially lately, um, I've heard more about how kids today have it easy. A lot of times you hear how kids today are soft, how the culture that we're in 
coddles them too much. And I just want to put that in perspective for a moment. I heard a, a comedian in his 50s not long ago saying that he always had to get, he always had to change the channel for his dad. His dad would call him to change the channel on the TV. And his son asked him, why didn't you just tell your dad to do that himself? And he said, yeah, tell my World War II Marine dad to get up out of his chair and go over and change the channel himself so I wouldn't have to. That was never going to happen. And if it did, it would only happen once. <laughs> now, the example being that each generation looks at the generation after it and has some of the same thoughts. Imagine the generation where electricity started to be a normal thing. Don't you think the generation before them thought, these kids are going to be soft. They've got it made. They just flip a light switch and the lights come on. And there is a generation after that where cars became to be more and more prevalent. Tractors where you didn't have to go and plow the fields with ox or with horse. That generation is going to have it easy. They're probably going to get soft. And so we see that that's not a new thing. The kids today that we look at today, the generations that we look at today, will probably say the same things about their kids. You think 10G is slow? We had 5G back in my day. It was nothing like it is now. Who knows, having to swipe on your phone, having to drive your own car, who knows what other things that they'll look at. So we should very much hesitate before we look at kids today and think to ourselves or say, they've got it easy. They're going to be soft. They're not going to know how to work. They're going to be lazy. Probably every generation has looked at the generation after them and said those same things things. Be careful not to judge. It's never easy to be a kid. It's never been easy. It never will be easy. I think of some of the things that our kids face today that those of us in this room never did. I still remember when Columbine happened. I was in junior high. The idea of a school shooting, of a mass shooting, was so foreign. It was the changing of tide in our culture that something like this had happened. Where did we go wrong? Was it video games? Was it single parent homes? Was it teachers? All of these things, everything was quenched. Was it the TV shows that we watched? But today, to hear about a school shooting, it's more of a question of where and how many. How many were killed? How many were shot? What type of weapon was used? And we can probably guess. Those things aren't things that most of us grew up with. 
It's not easy to be a kid today. Metal detectors, sniffing dogs, a lot of those things that kids face today are different. In the Cold War, I hear about, I didn't live through, but in the Cold War, I hear about kids getting under their desks and putting books over their heads because you were worried about a nuclear strike from the Soviet Union, the Cold War. Now kids do safety drills. They know where to go in their building if there's an active shooter. They know how to prepare, who needs to lock the doors, where to go, signals to put on the inside, outside of the rooms. All of these things. It's not easy to be a kid, is it? We should be careful before we pass judgment about what it's like to be a kid today or how easy it is. We think of the um, social media that kids face today. TikTok, these different things. Now, I think, again, it's good for us to remember, kids didn't invent that stuff. A lot of times we look on judgment on how much kids stream, how much they text, how much they use these different devices, the attention culture, trying to get likes. Kids didn't invent any of that, did they? That came a generation before. And the idea now we understand of kids being addicted to social media or younger people, that wasn't by accident, was it? We found out as different things happened that actually there had been algorithms and different things that were specially designed to get people addicted, for our brains to respond, for those likes and those different things, not just to be selfish or appealing to our own vanity, but to try to hook us in for greed, for monetary profits, to find different ways to get us more involved, to keep us clicking. And it works on us adults too, doesn't it? Our brains are more formed where we might be more able to filter that through, but the kids are not. And by kids, I admit, and I apologize to teenagers or older kids in the room, I am using kids to cover a spectrum. I'll go even all the way up through high school today. I know that's not fair. I know it's probably annoying, but at the same time, to differentiate between the generations in there would be tricky. So I'm gonna throw in kids. Um, so I apologize for that. Uh, when I was 16, I didn't wanna to be told I was a kid and hear the issues kids were facing today. But I think it's important for this morning for us to get a grasp on some of these things. So when kids or youth or whatever they are, when they're struggling with some of these things, identity, bodies, body shaming, suicide, depression, isolation. They did not invent the factors that contribute to these things, did they? They didn't come up with the internet. They usually don't go out and buy their own phones, do they? Those come from adults the access those different things to the internet. 
the content that's on the internet. They're not responsible for that. It's not easy to be a kid. They face a lot of things today that even my generation, and the more I say that, the more I realize 36 is older than I want it to be. <laughs> I work with a 20-year-old, and it really helped me to start to realize when she mentioned her fall drip, I had no idea that drip was describing clothing style. <laughs> and then I heard it in a commercial, and then I was kind of excited because I was like, I know what that means. <laughs> And then I heard the term goblin mode. <laughs> Has anyone heard of it? Okay, that makes me feel better, Bradley, because I heard it and I was all excited because I read it in an article probably on CNN that was like the new thing that the kids were saying and the new thing in the dictionary. And then I asked a bunch of kids and like, we don't know what you're talking about. Like, dang it, I'm still old. I'm trying to use a phrase that kids might like and they don't know it anyway. So I'm still, now I'm the person going up and saying, you know, hey, I know the new term you kids are using and they have no clue what I'm talking about. Missed it again. But even just working with a 20 year old, I, I find myself saying a lot, you know, in my generation, or in your generation, um, I even thought one day when, when I, saw the kids in youth group uh, coming up here and helping lead, which was so cool. I thought to myself, it's so good to see young people today participating in the church. And then I thought, okay, grandma. <laughs> I specifically remember old ladies coming up to me in church when I was a teenager and saying, it's just so good to see young people in church today. It's so good to see you involved and enjoying being here. I worry about kids your age. We see fewer and fewer of them in church. And I remember rolling my eyes and being like, what are you talking about? Whatever, I'm just here. I enjoy being here, but also my parents make me come. And uh, yeah, now I say it today. It's so good to see the young people up there saying the prayers, singing the songs. <laughs> so I'm there with a lot of it. But yes, I recognize that the generation before me also probably thinks my generation soft. And now the generation, including mine, is complaining about the, uh, you know, working from home and it's going to ruin everything. And there's probably some truth that there's value in being in the office. But every generation, right? looks at the one after it and says, boy, they're really going down the tubes. Still here. Still here. I think about some of the things like participation trophies, some of that stuff that you hear people complain about. Everybody gets a trophy. Kids did not assign themselves trophies, did they? Right. They didn't all get together one day and say, let's have a meeting. This year when we distribute the trophies at the end of the soccer season that we as eight-year-olds organized <laughs> and recruited people to coach, we've decided that we're going to give out the trophies this year to each person that participates rather than to one team that did really well. We're responsible for that, aren't we? Someone, someone in here came up with that and decided to go with that. 
And judging how many parents are involved with sports teams, right? It wasn't just one parent that decided to do that. Nobody wanted to say no. Nobody wanted to hurt the kids' feelings. So it's not their fault. Being a kid isn't easy. It wasn't easy then, in Jesus' day. Kids were often overlooked. They did not have the value that Jesus was trying to show that they should have. The special place that they have in the kingdom then, but it's still true now. Going ahead now to look back one more moment at what Jesus saw in kids, that he said, these are the focus of my kingdom. Now, this is what I call uh, speculative theology right now. Uh, okay, I used to Jesus also. Where I'm going to choose to, you know, decide what I think Jesus was thinking and make it fit my sermon. Hopefully it's not quite that egregious. Uh, but I think that using scripture as a whole and using what we've learned through the church over the generations and what we recognize ourselves, we can try to put together some of what Jesus saw in kids that connected to his kingdom. One thing that I love as I look at kids and now I'm talking about younger is how excited they get about a small gift. Doesn't the Father want us to recognize the gifts that he gives us and get excited? To not take them for granted. To not get up each day and say, oh, geez, what do I have to do? What's on today's list? We had one foster kid, I'll call him uh, Jeff, he would run to my morning every he would run to my room every morning and knock on the door and say, Scott, are you up yet? Are you up yet? Because he was so excited to see me that morning. He was so excited to get a hug. Tell me what he was thinking and feeling that day. And it was wonderful. It was beautiful. I loved it. That's the kind of joy that's so much fun to experience. That uh, if my wife did that, I would be totally freaked out. And I'd be like, whoa, chill. <laughs> Fortunately, neither one of us are like really big high energy morning people. She is more than me. Um, but she does not roll over and say, hey, it's a great day. <laughs> I don't think I'd like it if she did. But kids also value gifts differently. I decided that I was going to get one of our foster kids who've been with us for a while, a new bike. He uh, loved to ride the bike. And the bike that he was riding was a bike that my parents had found by the side of the road that was painted different colors and had no brakes. So I made him get off it like a block away before we got to an intersection and he had to walk his bike because I didn't want him to roll through the intersection. So it was not a pretty bike. Uh, I always felt a little embarrassed when we you know, would go around the neighborhood that he didn't have a little bit nicer bike. It wasn't the safest bike, I felt bad about that. 
And so I got him a new bike. And when I got him a new bike, I wanted to get him a, a pretty nice new bike. I was excited. I'd always wanted this kind of bike when I was a kid. I wanted him to have something to ride that he was really proud of. And so I did this big reveal for his birthday. I have an elevator in my house uh, for my wheelchair, but I, I thought it'd be cool to bring, put the bike in the elevator and open the door. And so I open the door, bring out the new bike, and I look at his face, and I'm expecting a response, and he gives me kind of a confused look. And he said, but I have a bike. It's laying right over there. He didn't see the need for it. He wasn't worried about the paint job. The three different colors were okay with him. Why worry about brakes when you can just slide your feet on the cement? I mean, after all, I buy his shoes. What is he, you know, he can, he can just wear them out every other week. He doesn't need brakes. And it taught me uh, a good lesson that he saw the world very, very differently. That he didn't need gifts to look a certain way. He was grateful for what he had. And he would have much preferred a $5 Baby Yoda from Five Below, which I'm guessing he got to, than this new bike when he already had one. I went to a kid's program not too long ago and they were making Valentines and I was asking the kids who they were making Valentines for. And the little girl looked at me and she set the one for her mom aside and she started making a new one. And I said, who's that one for? And she said, it's for you. You're my new friend. And she started, I told her I liked that she was painting a black Valentine because I'd never seen it. One with black on it. And so she immediately started putting my new favorite color on it, asked how to spell my name, all those things, ran out of room, you know, so like half the words, you know, ran over from one side, that cute way that kids do. I think that type of friendship, that type of love, that type of affection, isn't that what the Father wants from us? When the disciples are debating who's the most important, is it possible that that's what Jesus was calling a child into the middle for? To remind them of some of those things, some of those lessons that were true of kids today and true of kids then. Now, how do we handle kids here at the house? Our church is a special place for children. We value children very much. When we had Treehouse back there, you could hear the feet of kids. I never heard anyone complain. Now we have Treehouse out there. Is it convenient? No. Is it loud? Yes. Does it look kind of funny to have those temporary curtains up when you come in? Yes. But Pastor Greg, did you think twice about any of that stuff? I want to go out on a limb and say no, because kids are important here. And that's focused on more than anything else. We do a food pantry at Earl Hansen. That's the name, right? I always hesitate. 
Michelle leads it. And can you wave hi, Michelle? Just so I know. She hates it. But if you want to volunteer or learn more, that's who you go talk to. This uh, last week, or the last time we had it, was it two weeks ago? Two weeks ago, over 50 kids received food from the food pantry. Over 80 people. We have each person that comes in sign in and write down how many people were in their household and how many kids. Over 50 kids. Over 80 people. That's beautiful, isn't it? I think it's awesome. And it's so much fun to meet the people as they come through. I learned that some of the people coming through speak uh, language Korean. And that uh, they moved here from Thailand, but their families were originally from Burma. It was really cool. It was so interesting. And now I have my little list of words that I'm trying to learn in Korean. It's going to be ugly, but I'm going to try. And it's so fun to see the kids. They interpret for their parents. They have so many jobs. Being a kid isn't easy. But Jesus wants us to see how they behave and model it in the kingdom. We do angel tree. We do closet to closet. We do all these things. And now I'm going to wrap up. What else, what else can we do or could we do? Two simple things. Learn a kid's name and ask a kid a question. That would bless kids in our church. A lot of us know kids, but learn one kid's name that you don't know. I had a conversation with, I'll go ahead and call him my friend, Wallace. I don't know if he'd call me that, but I'm going to call him. I asked him, what are you looking at? He was looking at Pokemon cards. And he immediately started to tell me about the Pokemon now, I know a decent amount about Pokemon from growing up, from kids with Pokemon cards. I still had no clue what he was talking about. <laughs> if you knew about Pokemon five years ago, you have no idea what's going on now. <laughs> it's all changed. But not only could he tell me about the Pokemon, he could tell me what store he got each deck at and who he was with. I got this one at Target with my dad. We got it two weeks ago. And he could tell me, tell me each store, how much they cost at that store, who had the best packs, the best cards in it. He could tell me so many things. And so I got to learn a lot about his world, who he spends time with, where he goes how he spends his money or his parents' money. <laughs> but what he values. And it was such a fun moment. And so you don't have to know about Pokemon. You don't have to know about what kids are into. You don't have to know what interests them to break into their world, to bless them. And to be a church where we know about kids in a special way where we know their names, kids that we didn't bring to church or aren't friends of our family, I think would take us to the next level 
of honoring kids and showing them their special place in the kingdom. Amen? So if you learn a kid's name and ask them a question, I'll have a prize for you next week. Kids will do anything for a prize, won't they? They don't even have to know what it is. So we're going to operate by that principle. Next week, either after church today or at a community table or before church next week, ask a kid their name and ask them a question. I love to ask, what did you have for lunch today? What did you have for breakfast? Something even as simple as that. You know, what's your favorite thing at school, lunch or recess? And, you know, yeah, what do you like to do at recess? There's always another question you can ask. All right. Let's pray. Do I do communion directly after that? After I pray? All right. Uh, Pastor Chris and Pastor Jen, if you guys had come up, and then we'll do communion. I'll pray first. And then we'll pass it out and I'll pray again. Father, we thank you for kids. We thank you for the blessings and comforts that kids have today that they haven't had in the past. But we also recognize it's not easy to be a kid. It's not now, it never has been, it never will be. And you call us to protect them and love them in a special way. Help us to fulfill that. Help us to ask kids their names and ask them questions. And I thank you for the way that we honor kids in our church every week, every day. And we thank you for leaders that value that. In Jesus' name, amen.